I'm Javon J.T. McCormick. I'm half white. I'm half black. I've got no college degree. My father was a black pimp and drug dealer. My mother was a white orphan. I've been sexually abused. I've been in juvenile three different times. And at the bottom of all of that, I will outwork anyone. Welcome to Noah Kagan Presents. What up, party people? It's your boy, Five Star, a.k.a. Rabbi Can't Lose, a.k.a. Noah Kagan. Today is a crazy episode with JT McCormick. He's the president and CEO of bookinabox.com. But a lot of people are CEOs and presidents of companies, yada, yada, yada. So that's actually not the most interesting part. What is interesting about JT is how he came from nothing. He never graduated high school. He lived with his dad, who was a pimp and drug dealer. He had insane hardships like sexual abuse, homelessness, juvenile detention center. So how the hell was he able to go from there to becoming a millionaire? This is an episode that's going to be replacing your coffee this morning, and I really look forward to you enjoying it. Here's three key things you're going to learn. What is the number one quality that JT says made himself successful and how to build that quality in yourself? Second, how JT would start all over again working at McDonald's to become a millionaire. Yes, McDonald's. He gives his exact steps. And I was shocked at how detailed he was. I think you might see him at McDonald's one day. And third, how JT stays motivated every day and wakes up at 4 a.m. when he could coast on his success. This is a guy that every time I see him, I'm like, how you doing, JT? He says, stupendous, Noah. And I'm like, oh, your God, it's one of those people. But the guy's legit. He's exciting. And I'm looking forward to you enjoying the show. It also seems like you have like old traditions. I don't know if that's fading with the younger generation. A lot of people complain about it. But like, how did that get built into you? These old school values. And it's funny that they're old school values. It's just like, these are good values. Yeah, these are great values, you know, opening the door. You know, oh, wow, what a concept. Being on time. You were here early. Exactly. Be on time. So I feel that our country very much lost its work ethic somewhere. No one's willing to hustle and grind anymore. Of course, I'm not speaking about everyone, but I don't know where we lost that value. You know, you go back to our grandparents, our great grandparents. Flipping burgers was an opportunity. Not anymore. People don't see that. I'll say this. I'm half black, half white. So this isn't a race thing whatsoever. But every day when I'm driving into Austin on the corner, coming close to downtown, on one side, you have a huge group of Mexican-Americans, Latinos, immigrants, whatever we're going to call them, on one corner. They're waiting for the trucks to come and pick them up for day labor so they can go work. But on the opposite corner on the highway, you've got a white guy with the sign and you got a black guy with the sign. The Mexicans want to work. The white and the black guy are holding up signs for a handout. The work ethic. And like you said, it's old school value for me. But I've also noticed for me in the country we live in right now. Oh, man, I can just out hustle everybody. So many people have stopped hustling and grinding that you've in many ways have made it easier for me to succeed. <laughs> What is hustling for you like? Like, what's that daily in the life of like? Day in the life for me, I get up every day between 3.45 and 4 a.m. There are days, don't get me wrong, man, I am human. There are days where I want to hit the snooze button. There are days I want to go back to sleep, you know, especially when my wife is snoring next to me or one of the kids has crawled in bed and they're cuddling with me. I want to stay in bed. I sit there and I lay, I look up at the ceiling and I say to myself, okay, there's someone that has cancer in a hospital bed somewhere, and that person is never going to leave that bed. 
And all I got to do is get up and hustle and grind, go study my craft, study leadership, investment, business, scale, and then go to the gym for an hour and a half. That's all I have to do. I get to get up and do that every day for about an hour and a half. I study my craft. I study leaders. Why do certain leaders make the decisions they make? Why did Blockbuster not buy Netflix for $50 million? I'm intrigued by the decisions that are made by companies, boards, things of that nature. Books, newspapers, anything I can get my hands on or my ears around. I'm a big audible guy. I love to listen to books at 1.5 speed so you can get more in. So anything, leadership. I, I love studying female leaders, especially. In many ways, it's a harder path to get to that CEO spot for females. So I'm, I'm fascinated by how people make that, that run. I really like that approach because it's harder for them. I find women generally better people to work with a lot of the time. Men are great, but a lot of <laughs> women, I work with women, I'm like, you guys need to be above us. That's why God gave you babies. That's my belief. Anyways, but what have you noticed about the things that they've had to do to achieve their success or to get to these positions or their type of leadership style that's different? You know, in many ways, in why I feel like I may identify with women in leadership and their path to get there is... I was raised by a single mom. So I have immense respect for women in general because like I said, raised by a single mom, that was my definition of hard worker. You know, if something went wrong, mom took care of it. It was mom, mom, mom. But in the world of business, I find that women aren't able or not allowed, I pick your direction there, to make the decisions that sometimes men will make because they're criticized harsher. So in many ways for their climb to the top, they're working on perfection. Every decision they've made has been a great decision. And that's what's helped them climb that ladder because they're under more scrutiny if they make a bad decision because they're a woman as well. And that sucks. What do you think men can learn from this and be more women-like? I know for me, you know, again, I study the decision-making almost like a chessboard. Why did they make that move? How did they get there? Even when I listen to them speak, I watch that they're very intentional in their words. They're very aware of what's coming out of their mouth, how they're saying it, how they present themselves. And I don't find that's always the case with men. Men in leadership have a little bit of entitlement. Like, of course, I'm supposed to be here. All right. So you're studying craft in the morning. Craft in the morning. Gym. Gym, hour, hour and a half. Come home hang out with the family for about 30, 45 minutes, all hell breaks loose. Everyone's running around <laughs> trying to get people to eat breakfast, get dressed, head to the office and grind it out at the office from anywhere from 8.30 to 5.30, 6 o'clock, maybe head home, get home about, eh, let's see, I get home about 6, hang out with the family some more, try to get people to eat again, read some books, play, hang out, bath time, get people dressed, put people to bed, a little bit of time with my wife. I may watch a little more Bloomberg or CNBC at night before I go to bed and go to bed between 9.45 and 10.30, get up and grind it out again. But I'm never in bed past 6 a.m., even on the weekends. Part of me just went, well, what's fun for you? Because a lot of times people work all day and it sucks. And then at night, they're like, I'm going to watch Game of Thrones. And that's my like enjoyment time. For me, I'm very fortunate that I love business. Say to yourself, the very definition of someone who could retire, Warren Buffett, 88 years old, still grinding, still out there. Why? Warren, why are you still doing it? Obviously, he loves what he does. And I know for me, I want to die at work. I, <laughs> I, I love business. <laughs> you know, So scale, 
the decisions. Why did people choose to go a certain path? Why were certain decisions made? I'm fascinated by it. But like you've made a lot of money. You've achieved them above the American dream. To me, sometimes I notice for myself and I'm curious, well, how come you just haven't coasted me like, all right, I can go chill now. I can go do relaxing and boating or whatever other kind of hobby things. One, I love what I do in with business and money. What's the definition of done? You know, Amazon. Why are they still going? Why are they still growing? You know, now we bought Whole Foods. We're going to grow some more. Is there really a definition to done in business? I haven't found it. For me personally, I share the personal side of it. There is a piece that I still struggle with that I feel like someone's going to come take all this shit away from me. And so I still have in the back of my mind that I need to keep going. I've been very fortunate, blessed with the success, with the work ethic. In my mind, I still have a responsibility and an obligation to keep going. Have you put anything in place in case they take it or to protect yourself? Financially, I mean, we're, I'm fine, but I do live like this and I keep this in my mind. If it was all gone right now, now I've made millions of dollars over my career. If someone took it all away right now, I can make it again. I mean, hell, I've lost it once and made it back. And so if you took everything from me right now, Noah, and you said, okay, JT, you have to start over. And the only way you're going to start over is you have to go work at McDonald's. Here's where I say we, as our country, we've lost a little bit of our work ethic. Don't get me wrong. Minimum wage sucks. Different debate. But if you said, JT, you had to start over and you can only start over at McDonald's. First three months, I'm going to show up. I'm going to be on time, just like you said, every day. And if I've got to start mopping the floors, my floors are going to be immaculate. My counters, my tables, immaculate. Restrooms pristine. Three months later, I'm going to say, okay, may I learn fries? May I learn burgers? Three months after that, so I'm six months in now, you know as well as I do. In fast food, turnovers like no other. By last six months, <laughs> I'm one of the tenured people at this point. <laughs> so now I want to learn burgers. I want to learn fries. Now I'm going to ask if I can learn cash register drive through Nine months in, I'm going to start asking. I want to be assistant manager. At this point, I've outlasted most of the people who have come and gone. So I'm assistant manager after nine months, 12 months into it. I've learned all the other avenues. I'm opening, I'm closing. Long story short, give me 18 to 24 months. I'm going to be GM. Once I'm GM, then I'm going to start asking, okay, can I be a district manager and start running multiple locations and implement the things that I've done? I already feel like you've done, like, as you're telling me the story, I'm like, wow, what a great story. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, which McDonald's is this? Damn believable. Very well put. But number one, I like how you kept saying you're asking for it. And I think that's something that I was talking with someone on the team at Sumo yesterday. And I was like, look, it's great for you to ask. We were talking about salary and title. I was like, good. I want you to keep asking and growing more. And like you give more to the company. Like I want the company to give more to you. And so I think that's one thing you did at McDonald's now that you own the, you run McDonald's. Uh, <laughs> but the second thing, I guess, is how can other people, young people, older people, just people in general, increase or improve their work ethic? Because it sounds like I don't know if that's intrinsic or you've just built that discipline, that muscle over time, but what can everybody else do? It very much is a mindset. You have to ask yourself, okay, what do you want and what are you willing to sacrifice? There's three S's that I look at. There's sleep, there's sacrifice, and there's success. Somewhere in between there, let's say you're one of those individuals who feels, well, I got to have my eight hours a day. I've spoken to so many people and they say, well, what time do you get up each day? Ah, between 3.45 and 4. 
oh my God, I'm not a morning person. You're right, because you just told yourself you're not. So that's mindset right off the bat. There's so many people that will just say, I'm not a morning person. If you're telling yourself you're not, you're not. Because the fact of the matter is, if you want to get your ass up at 4 a.m., you can get your ass up at 4 a.m. Depends on if you have the mindset to want to do it. That's one piece. When I say sleep, sacrifice, success, we'll touch on the athletes for a second. LeBron James makes $90 million a year. We see him on the court. He's celebrating. He's a great basketball player, so on and so forth. But no one talks about the sacrifice that LeBron James makes with his family when he's shooting free throws for six hours a day. No one talks about that. We just celebrate $90 million a year, best basketball player, but no one goes into detail about the sacrifices he makes to be that player. And so if you are an individual who says, okay, I got to have my eight hours. Okay, great. Have your eight hours then what areas of your life are you going to sacrifice? So I'll give you a great example of this. I love golf. Love golf. Golf takes about four and a half hours for a round. So I got to make a decision. Is that four and a half hours with my family? Or is that four and a half hours that I'm going to spend out on a golf course? So I've broken my life down to four areas. God, family, business, and investments. That's what I focus on. I love all four of those. It's a mindset of where are you going to sacrifice in your life to achieve success? Sleep, you got to have it. Even if it's three hours a day, you have to have sleep somewhere. So that's why I said sleep, sacrifice, success. To put all those together, you're going to have to get some sleep somewhere. You're going to have to make some sacrifices in order to achieve success. The two things about that are interesting. I feel like a lot of people use Twitter or Instagram. And they have these bios. It's like, number one dad. And I feel like most of them are bullshit. I think they're talking about the person they want to be. Right. And when I hear from you, it just seems real. It seems like you're like, hey, I put my kids first. And guess what? Your decisions and your actions reflect that. I feel like other people say it. And then I see them never with their family or talking about their family. Totally. It does come down to sacrifice. A lot of times I'm asked, wow, JT, you went from lowest paid person at the software company to president in three years. And that part is celebrated. Okay, great. I guess it's cool. But no one ever asked me, how'd you do that? No one wants to know the granular details of the 18-hour day, the seven days a week, the fact of the consistency that it took to make that happen. No one wants to talk about that. In the five years I was with the software company, I only took 11 days vacation in five years. We live in a country where people take 11 days vacation the first quarter. And so in five years, I took 11 days vacation. I mean, I can even break them down to you. Three days to get married, two days for my firstborn, one day for my secondborn, and then a few sporadic days here and there. So much so, you want to talk about sacrifice. We have birthing photos of me in the delivery room with my wife and the laptop open behind me in the damn delivery room. People can say, oh, that's insane. That's ridiculous. Well, is it? Because you just wanted to celebrate me because I went from lowest paid to president. How do you think that happened? Rarely do we want to talk about all the granular hustle and grind details that it takes to achieve the sacrifice. Do you regret not spending more time on that? No, I'm surrounded by people with just impeccable academic credentials. I'll, I'll use Tucker, for example. Tucker's got University of Chicago, Duke Law School. I don't have any of that. I barely got a high school diploma. I had to go to summer school to get that. 
I have work ethic. I have hustle. I have grind. That's going to be my gift to my children is to teach them work ethic. And we live in a country now where, man, if I can transfer this work ethic to my children, they'll be well suited. So I don't have any regrets. I spend a great amount of time with my children. My children are well cared for. I get to go outside and play with them, take them on vacations and all that good stuff. But yeah, they'll always know, man, dad worked his ass off. You know, what's fascinating is I think a lot of people would say like, oh, I want to be like JT where he's at. He's running these successful companies. And I do this too. I want more books. I want more podcasts. I want more knowledge. And a lot of times it just comes back to the hard work. Yeah. It comes in how much time are you putting into the things that you actually want? Totally. One of the greatest quotes I ever heard, heard a gentleman say one day, he goes, I only work half days. Immediately, I was turned off by this. Immediately, I'm like, only half days. I'm like, how dare you? You can't get on my level. Half days. I don't even know what that means. And then he said, which 12 do you want to work? And my eyes just opened. I'm like, oh, that's brilliant. He works half days, 12 hours each day. And then the other 12 is for sleep, eating, family, whatever. And that just stuck with me. I thought it was one of the greatest things I ever heard. What I find interesting as well, we also live in a society now where we preach work-life balance and we preach culture, but we celebrate these three individuals I'm about to bring up, Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, and Steve Jobs. If you look at their work ethics, the way they would treat certain people when it came to hours work, they are not the definition of work-life balance or even culture. And what's crazy to me is we celebrate the pieces of life that we want to celebrate, meaning, oh my gosh, they're geniuses. They're so great. But Elon Musk is notorious for working over 100 hours a week, but that's not work-life balance. No, it's sacrifice to achieve the things that you want to achieve in life. And he's got five kids. That's why he bought the, built the SUV. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I think what, what's one of the most fascinating things about you is, is that if someone met you, be like, oh, this is a, a light-skinned black guy, dresses really well, successful, runs these companies. He must have done some work. We don't really know, but he's successful now. People don't know your history when they meet no, you. No, they don't. If I could jump in there for a second, call me sensitive to this, if you will. But you just said something that I have worked a lifetime to correct people on. So I'm half black, half white. So you said light-skinned black guy. When people refer to me as black guy, essentially what you're doing is just completely eliminating my white mother. And so I always express to people, I'm half white, half black. I'm no more proud of being black than I am proud of being white. In fact, I'm equally proud of, of both. In many ways, especially now, it's so awesome to be able to identify on both sides of life. But so many people will automatically, oh, because he's half, oh, black guy. No, I'm half white, half black. And it's the damnedest thing. You know, obviously race in our country is very popular right now. No one's ever said white guy. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm, I mean, I'm half white, but because I'm half black, like you said, light skin, people will say black guy. Yeah. So you prefer half white, half black. Half white, half black. Okay. Yeah. I guess what I was trying to think about was that there's so much more to you, but people will never really get to see that unless they've bought your book. And the title is for everyone out there. It's called I Got There, How I Overcame Racism, Poverty, and Abuse to Achieve the American Dream. 
And I highly recommend it. I've read it, I think, maybe two days, but it might have been just one day. It was a great read. Thank you, sir. The thing I was just more curious is that I would have never known that. If I would have just met you, I'd have been like, man, this JT Morgan guy is really nice. He works a lot. Great work ethic. Really unique attitude. But I would have never known any of that. So I guess I was wondering, like, how would I have even gotten, like, how can I get that out of people or been able to learn that about you if I would have just met you just like straight up somewhere? The background, I'm more comfortable with it now. Truth be told, I would always hide a lot of my background. So my real name is Javon. And so what I found when I did come into the business world is if I made a sales call or I introduced myself as Javon McCormick, you were instantly judging me. You saw Javon, you're like, oh, black guy. And so to quote Martin Luther King, I've always wanted to be judged by my character. My, my work ethic. That's it. Don't judge me by my name. Don't judge me by the color of my skin. How is my work ethic? Do I put in work? Do I respect people? Do I treat people kind? That's what I wanted to be measured by. So to your point, I've spent a good majority of my life not discussing my past and in many ways masking it. I've had conversations where people have made this assumption that I have a college degree. I didn't cover it up. Hell, truth be told, I kind of, yeah, okay, ran with it. You know, if you want to do assume it, let's go with it. People have assumed because I speak about business and I've studied and studied, people have assumed I've got an MBA. You want to go with that? Let's go with that. I've spent a good majority of my life actually hiding from that. It's not until recently when I did this book that I came to grips with, okay, this is who I am. I'm Javon J.T. McCormick. I'm half white. I'm half black. I've got no college degree. My father was a black pimp and drug dealer. My mother was a white orphan. I've been sexually abused. I've been in juvenile three different times. So I came to grips with it. This is who I am. And at the bottom of all of that, I will outwork anyone. You go 24 hours, I'm going 25. You go 36, I'm going 37. So I've in many ways run from it, hit it, did not want you to know because I didn't want to be judged by it. What changed recently? What changed in the past few years that made you want to start sharing it? Having done the book was a bit therapeutic for me. The book, truth be told, when I first met with the co-founders, Tucker and Zach, I never wanted the book to go public. I even said, I don't care if this ever sells one copy. In fact, I'm only doing this book for my children. I was traveling a lot at the time when I was at the software company and it hit me. I said, wow, if something happens to me, my children won't know where I came from. They won't know that I don't even know where my last name comes from. That last name was given to my mother in the orphanage. She doesn't know where it comes from. So we just have this last name that we have no clue where it comes from. And it became important to me that my children know that if something was to happen to me. So I really wanted the book as a legacy piece. I've always been fascinated by like the Ford family. You know, they can go five, six generations deep. The uh, Anheuser-Busch family, you know, they can go six generations deep and, and track where they come from and their lineage. I can track back like a half hour. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, that book was that piece of a starting point for my family to realize, wow, okay, this is our dad. This is where he comes from. You know, my little guy, my son, Jackson, man, he looks like a little white frat boy. When he was born, I used to call him the governor. He had a built-in part and he, he looked like a little white governor. <laughs> Came out with the polo. <laughs> totally, totally. You know, and then my wife puts him in sear sucker shorts. So he completely looks like he should be at the Kentucky Derby. 
But I make a joke with my wife. I said, man, good thing their college education is already paid for. Because if he ever had to go apply for financial aid and he put on there that his dad was half black, they were like, okay, that's fraud. <laughs> because <laughs> he does not look, I mean, there is nothing that says he's a quarter black about this kid whatsoever. He's as white as a piece of paper, straight hair. Anyway, that's what the book was done for. And then as we started on the book, so many pieces of my life came out that these stories that I had, and man, do I want to put this in the book? I've not told anyone about this. My father passed away during the writing of the book. I hadn't spoke to my father in 30 years. The coincidence that my father would pass away and that I would go back to Dayton, Ohio after 30 years of not speaking to him, not knowing if he was alive, and then ended up paying for his funeral. So much of that really just came to, okay, 45 years old, this is who I am. It is what it is to the point that some people have made to me. You're financially successful. You've been president of a software company. You can't write code. You are president and CEO of a publishing company. And truth be told, I can't tell you an adverb from a pronoun. Damn sure can't spell. <laughs> one, one of my top three people that I want to meet, Noah, is the man or woman who created Spellcheck because they have been so influential in my career. I went to schools where we weren't even allowed to take books home at night. And now I'm the CEO of a publishing company. The irony. And so I just came to grips with, okay, I will admit, yes, I have achieved a certain level of success. The reason why the title of the book is I Got There, Tucker and I talked about this, and he goes, man, you're there. Where are you still going? Where are you trying to get to? Until we did this book, I was going somewhere. I didn't know where the hell I was going, but I was still running to not go back to the hood, to the projects, to welfare. And I would say it made me a better person as well. I don't know. For me, sometimes when I've like let go or put it out there, like in a journal or in a book or whatever format, it helped me feel lighter. Oh, I mean, yes. like, would you recommend it for others? I, I would highly recommend it for me. It was very therapeutic. It was no longer in many ways trying to live somewhat of a lie. You know, I lived in San Antonio for a while. So many people just assumed I was Mexican. Hey, if I need to be Mexican, so many people have thought Middle Eastern, Puerto Rican. My wife says it the best. She goes, you've been a chameleon your whole life. Wherever I needed to be at any given time, whatever assumption, whatever path I had to go down, I went down the path that I'll be what I need to be at any given time to, in many ways, by any means necessary so I can succeed. Well, that's a wrap. I hope you liked this episode with JT. If you did, go give JT some huge love on Twitter world at McCormick and at his company, bookinabox.com. I also recommend you check out JT's own book, I Got There, How I Overcame Racism, Poverty, and Abuse to Achieve the American Dream. I read it in a night. It's a phenomenal quick read about his story. And if you didn't like this episode, tweet me at Noah Kagan, N-O-A-H-K-A-G-A-N, and tell me what I can do to make the next episode better. Last, go text a friend. You love them. Yo, dog, let's go get some chicken McNuggets. Have a special day. What's your favorite movie quote?